Tim Berners-Lee is the creator of the World Wide Web. In his 2000 book, Weaving the Web, he describes many of the key moments, insights, and philosophy that went into its creation. In this episode, we'll talk about some of his key innovations. Welcome to Copec Explained Software, the podcast where we make computing intelligible. This is actually our 100th episode. We want to thank all the listeners, all the subscribers that have been supporting us the whole way. We've loved getting to share a little bit of the software world with you every couple of weeks. It's hard to believe that we're at 100 episodes. We hope they've been informative and let us know if you have ideas for our next 100. So today we're talking about the book Weaving the Web. The Original Design and Ultimate Destiny of the World Wide Web by Tim Berners-Lee, published in 2000, which I recently read, and I, there were some insights from it that I wanted to bring forward to you, including some of the key innovations from Tim Berners-Lee's perspective about the web. Now, we've already done a couple episodes on the web. We did one called How Does the Web Work that I'm going to link to in the show notes, and we did another called The Browser Wars, which is kind of like a history of web browsers. And we also did an episode on how the internet works more generally, which I'll also link to in the show notes. And I'll put a link, of course, to the book that a lot of this episode is based on. Now, Weaving the Web, the original design and ultimate destiny of the World Wide Web, is as relevant today as it was when it was published. So I really recommend everyone who's interested in this topic check out the book. It's a memoir by Tim Berners-Lee about the creation early growth of the web. Most of the book concentrates on the ideas, insights, software, and previous attempts that led to the web, but it's also about the decisions and evangelism that allowed it to flourish in the 90s. The last quarter of the book you might not like as much. It's about Tim Berners-Lee's ideas about where the web would go, and a lot of that didn't quite work out. But a lot of the things we're debating about today about the web are actually there in the book. In this episode, I want to just talk about a few of the innovations that particularly jumped out at me as being key to the web's success, and a couple that might not have worked out, but are actually pretty interesting. Let's start with something that's not an innovation. Yeah, so one of the first things I want to get out of the way is that the web did not invent the idea of hypertext. Hypertext has to do with documents that link to other documents, and you're using it all the time when you use the web. You're on a website, there's some links, you press the link, it takes you to a different website. That's basically the essence of hypertext. But hypertext existed for a long time before the web. The idea of hypertext was already around as early as the 1940s. Then Ever Bush, in his 1945 very famous article called As We May Think, described something that was kind of like a hypertext system. Of course, it wasn't yet possible to implement it on the computers of the time, but we saw something like hypertext by the late 1960s in The Mother of All Demos by Douglas Engelbert, the creator of The Mouse. And both of these were well known by the time the web came about in 1989. So Tim Berners-Lee was building off of decades of advancements in the idea of hypertext. He didn't invent the idea of hypertext, and in fact, there were other popular contemporary systems. For example, around that same time is when HyperCard came out for the Macintosh by Bill Atkinson, which was basically a graphical hypertext system, but the key difference between it and the World Wide Web is that the World Wide Web operated across the internet, 
whereas HyperCard was a fully local system. And in many ways, HyperCard was actually much more advanced than the early World Wide Web, but it was missing that key networking component. You could only interact with other documents that were already there on your machine. So Tim Berners-Lee key innovation with the web was to take hypertext and spread it out across the network in a very decentralized way. And we'll get back to decentralization in a little bit. But Tim Berners-Lee did not invent the idea of hypertext. He invented the idea of an easy networked hypertext implementation that was truly decentralized. And that's what the World Wide Web brought to the world. What did Tim Berners-Lee think was the biggest innovation that he came up with? Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, um, as you'll learn if you listen to our other episode about how the web works, there was a lot of different things that Tim Berners-Lee invented for the World Wide Web, HTTP, the protocol that web browsers and web servers use. He created the first web browser. He created the first web server. He created HTML. But the thing that he actually thinks was the biggest innovation, according to his book, is the URI. And he calls it the URI, which stands for Universal Resource Identifier. But most of us know them as URLs that we type, Universal Resource Location that we type into a web browser when we want to go to a particular site. I'm going to quote him here. This is from page 39 of the book. It's the most fundamental innovation of the web because it is the one specification that every web program, client, or server anywhere uses when any link is followed. So a URI is basically how we uniquely identify each of the documents on the web. And just having a scheme for doing that is actually not the easiest problem in the world. You need to have a way of distinguishing between the various different servers that are on the various different domains and the various different uh, sub-realms on those servers. And then you have to have a way of identifying each of the individual documents. And so he actually thinks his biggest innovation was that scheme for uniquely identifying all of the different documents that are all linked together. It's a really fundamental concept. It's something that we really just take for granted. And going into the book, it's definitely not what I thought he would think was his biggest innovation. But if you think about it, the fact that we don't think about it shows you just how brilliant it really is. A scheme that's so ingrained in us that it's almost an afterthought is actually one that's had a really big impact. Another innovation is the extreme decentralization that Tim Berners-Lee intended. Right. From the beginning, Berners-Lee philosophy went beyond technology. He designed the web to be an open, decentralized system that anyone could participate in. Here's a quote from page 99. Whether inspired by free market desires or humanistic ideals, we all felt that control was the wrong perspective. I made it clear that I had designed the web so there should be no centralized place where someone would have to register a new server or get approval of its contents. Anybody could build a server and put anything on it. And that was one of the beautiful things in the early web. There was nobody dictating what was allowed and what was not allowed. It was truly an open platform for communication and the sharing of ideas. It doesn't always feel that way anymore. And later on in this episode, we'll get to uh, Berners-Lee warning about how it could evolve in a negative direction. What's one innovation that didn't actually take off? Yeah, one of the most interesting things in the book is that Berners-Lee intended for the original web browser 
to be not just a browser, but also an editor. And the first program that he actually built as a browser, so the first browser, quote unquote, was also an editor. So you could actually go to any HTML document that was on a server that you controlled, and you could go right in the browser and change it and edit it. And if that sounds kind of like a wiki, it is, but this is more than a decade before wikis really became mainstream. So Berners-Lee already kind of understood the importance of users being able to edit content well before something like Wikipedia existed. However, other early web browsers didn't have the same enthusiasm for editing pages. And there's a little anecdote in the book about this. Part of it might have to do that when Berners-Lee designed the original web browser, it was built on the Next Step operating system, which had really advanced development tools. It's what eventually merged into iOS and even and before that, Mac OS. And actually, one of the things that's really easy to do when you're programming using what, what are today called the Cocoa APIs, back then called AppKit for Next Step, is create a text editor. There, it, actually, all the functionality for text editing is basically just built into the operating system, and you can just have that component live in your own app, and your own app can easily have text editing capabilities. That wasn't the case on the Mac or Windows at the time. So when people were trying to build browsers for other platforms, the Mac, Windows, X Windows on Unix, they were having trouble recreating that editing functionality. And people were also thinking, well, hey, browsing other people's documents is going to be a lot more important than creating documents. And you have to remember, this book was written in the year 2000, which was very much the height of the Web 1.0 era before the onslaught of social media and YouTube-like content sharing sites, a time when the web was very static. Yet it's very clear that Berners-Lee didn't intend it to be that way. Here's a quote from page 42. I never intended HTML source code, the stuff with the angle brackets, to be seen by users. A browser slash editor would let a user simply view or edit the language of a page of hypertext as if he were using a word processor. So Berners-Lee wanted a web browser to work like a word processor. Anyone could go and in a graphical user interface, just go and edit web pages. Obviously, that's not how it played out. It was the browsing side that everyone else cloned in their own browsers. And even though he implored other companies that were coming out with web browsers for years, please include an editor, please include an editor, that didn't really happen. And it took until the Web 2.0 era with social media and content sharing sites for the web to really be a place that people expressed themselves and didn't just read other people's documents that they expressed themselves with that were written in programs that weren't the web browser. Tim Berners-Lee also had a prescient warning about the merger of tech and content, right? Yeah, we spoke earlier about the importance of decentralization to Berners-Lee. And today, as the web has become more and more dominated by a few large tech companies, many people feel this early philosophy has been lost. It's definitely not the current ethos. It's not the way that most people interact with the web. People see it as actually very centralized. There's just a few companies like Facebook and Google that really control most of our time on the web and most of the places that we interact with. Berners-Lee was very prescient in understanding this threat. Here's a quote of his from page 132. If a company claims to give access to the world of information, then presents a filtered view the web loses its credibility. That is why hardware, software, and transmission companies must remain unbiased toward content. I would like to keep the conduit separate from the content. He's saying very clearly that he does not believe that technology companies should be imposing their own views on content, 
which of course all of the major technology companies today, at least in the United States, have been accused of doing from both sides of the political spectrum. So Berners-Lee could already see back in the year 2000 that this could possibly be a major problem. And there's people today who are kind of in what's called like the indie web movement who are working to reverse this trend. But the truth is that our current web is very corporatized. It is just a few large companies that control large swaths of it. And they certainly do impose their own views sometimes on content that goes through their platforms. So as you can see, there's a lot of fascinating stuff in this book. I highly recommend it. It's still relevant today. It's not a very long read. It's called Weaving the Web, The Original Design and Ultimate Destiny of the World Wide Web by Tim Berners-Lee. And there's a link to it in the show notes. Thanks for listening to us this week. Rebecca, how can people get in touch with us on Twitter? We're at Kopec Explains, K-O-P-E-C-E-X-P-L-A-I-N-S. Yeah, we want to remind you to subscribe to us on your podcast player of choice. If you like our show, don't hesitate to leave us a review, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye.